This is Food First Michigan on 760 WJR. Sponsored by the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Creating a food secure state. And by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan. Now here are your hosts, Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Welcome everyone and thanks for listening. Another perfect storm is brewing. I was in a small wooden boat years ago with an even smaller outboard motor moving slowly across the great expanse of water known as Lake Victoria. You Michiganders will know Lake Victoria as the runner-up to our own Lake Superior as the second largest body of fresh water. I looked across the small bow of the boat and could see the storm moving and brewing at a rate I knew my little engine could not outrun. My passengers were brave, but I knew they weren't great swimmers, and I could sense their fear growing as the rain hit harder. The swells increased, and I thought I should share some inspiring words to help them and me. And all I could muster were words that sounded good but rang a bit hollow in my own head. I hollered above the wind and got their attention and said, Don't be scared until I get nervous. We've got this. And I pulled my rain-soaked hat down and kept piloting the small boat into the swells until we could hide ourselves in a small cove. The storm came fast, and even though you could see it coming, it hit us hard. We were in awe of its strength and quickly adjusted our strategy and expectation. The storm passed, but it left behind a new sense of appreciation of how precious life is and how important it is to hang on until the storm passes. Inflation, a weakened supply chain from one of our primary food suppliers, which is the United States government, an increased need less than at the height of the pandemic, but still more than a year ago, has our food banks, who lead the charitable food network, looking across the bow of our own boat and seeing the storm that's coming. Jerry Brisson joins me next to discuss how it's all hands on deck and why we should be concerned but not fearful as we brace for the coming storm that impacts our ability to create a food secure state. Join us next here. Welcome back everyone. Dr. Phil Knight here with Jerry Brisson and Jerry, we are back with Mark in the WJR studio. So our listeners should feel bad for Mark because he actually has to look at us face to face again. Uh, you know, so Mark, we're we're feeling for you, buddy. But uh, it is so good to be back here um, in the in the you know the place where it all began and where we continue to do this. It's great to be able to spend time together. We've got a little lull from the from the urgency of COVID. There's still obviously issues out there that we're all dealing with, but uh, but. We're vaccinated and boosted, and uh, you know we don't even have to be masked around each other. And again, sorry. Yeah, but... <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> but uh, but here we are, and and you know I think one of the things I'm really grateful.
grateful for is that we found a way to do this when we couldn't be in the studio. And a big shout out to Mark for finding yep. Clean Feed and some of the other tools that we could use to continue the show at an unprecedented time of need. So, uh, you know, lots to be thankful for. Lots to be thankful for. Mark Blackwell at the top of that list. Right, so. indeed. So, uh, Jerry, a perfect storm is brewing. Uh, I, you know, really the storm's already blowing, right? I mean, here's one statistic I'll lead off on, and you can uh, unpack this for us. Uh, just, just the cost of food uh, with inflation and when we, when we can get it. Uh, a year ago, a truckload of canned tuna cost 46000 to buy and to get delivered. Uh, that was in February of 2020, um, so the, two years ago. Now that same truckload of tuna bought and delivered to our food banks is 57000 So uh, a difference of $11,000 is what we're facing for just one truckload of food. Yeah, and of course we get many, many truckloads of food all across the state, and uh, and we're seeing that. I think protein is one of the most difficult, right? And it's and it's a combination of things. The 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 manufacturers are having a hard time getting people to work in those plants, and so that means the supply is lower. Um, the demand is not going down. You know, again, hard to remember all the things that happened because of COVID, but people started cooking at home more. And right. that meant a lot more of the products that used to go to restaurants or, or other places, which are packaged and put together in a certain way, had to be rethought, right? They have to be packaged for home use. Um, and so that's very, very different. It's not the same plants. So so we still are seeing a lot of people cooking at home. That's great. Nothing wrong with it. It's a beautiful thing, right? Yeah. I cook at home. I mean, yeah. you know, I, and so everything isn't happening because of bad reasons, but it does create pressures, right? And particularly price pressures. Now we've got, you know, the war in Ukraine. It's creating a whole nother price pressure on commodities, right? And where is that going to go? And we don't really know. I'll tell you what we hear a lot is what's happening at the gas tank, yeah. you know? And, 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 and people, you know, when you're living real close to just barely making ends meet, or maybe you're not quite making ends meet, when you got to spend an extra $10 a week on gas just to get to work, what does it do, right? It disincentivizes work. Right. Because now you're working all those hours and you still can't pay your rent. How many hours would you work? And I'm talking to our listeners here. How many hours would you work not able to pay the rent before you decided to give up? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's really frustrating. And 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 again, I you know, so so this perfect storm. For, if you've got something to lean on, if you've got some money in the bank, if you've got a a job that pays a living wage, if you've got family members that don't have a health crisis, you know, those are things to be thankful for. Because if you had any or all of those things, you'd find some of these things a lot harder to take. So you know, the last thing I'm going to complain about is the struggles at food banks. Last thing, because what I care about and what all of us care about is the struggles of the households we serve. Yeah, I think these struggles just kind of roll downhill, right? And when and and they stop with the the families in the communities that we serve, and that's where the struggle is. Yeah, hey, it takes more money to do our work now. I mean, there's eleven thousand dollars difference right there. You know, that just doesn't appear. Um, so that means that we've got to do a better job communicating. We got to do a better job of telling the story. So 
Thankfully, we have here in Michigan and really uh, across the nation, we have a lot of people who believe in this work and they, they're coming alongside of us with their, their time and their talent, but also with their treasure. Um, and I think there's a message back to, you know, some of the folks that are policymakers in that if you're going to make things harder on food insecure people and become more dependent on the charitable food network, which is led by food banks, then you need to give us the resources to help make up that difference. Especially if you have them in it. And I know, you know, it's an election year that always creates some some turmoil in, in all of the legislative process. And, and I understand that. Politics is here for a reason. You know, people want certain things and they're going to fight to get those things. And that's okay. But here's here's where we are. We're at a five-year low in the amount of food that we would get from the USDA. And the truth is they have the money. They're having trouble buying the things that we said we needed. And so there's a there's some administrative difficulties and, and some other challenges that we're trying to fix, right? So so we think some of that's gonna straighten itself out in the next few months, but in the meantime, we have a crisis now. We have we have a situation where we don't have enough food now. So so when this is going on, and we know what's going on, and, and a lot of the people in the state departments that we work with know what's going on, and then you see people talking about more tax cuts and other things to offset extra revenue, you go, wait a minute, how did this happen? How, how are we talking about we have too much revenue when we really have one of the sharpest declines in the amount of available food through government sources than we've seen in five years and now more? Right. You know, so so somehow that's the stuff we got to be on top of and try to fix. And, and the message to our to our wonderful, hardworking legislature is let's get this right. You know, let's let's make sure that we're, we're making the right decisions for all of our citizens. Well, when you say USDA, we're talking about the United States Department of Agriculture, who is led by Agricultural Secretary Tom Vilsack. And he said this, Jerry, let me get your reaction. Tom Vilsack, Secretary, Agricultural Secretary, told the Washington Post that $100 million in new grants have been made available to the Emergency Food Assistance Program, their state agencies, and that the USDA has purchasing power through separate programs to supplement the commodities that food banks need. Vilsack said he understands food banks are facing difficult situations. Now, let's put this in context. We're having trouble. We don't have a food shortage. We have a supply chain issue. We're having trouble reaching back into the supply chain to get the food that we need. And I'm just hearing the Secretary of Agriculture say, so is he. That's why we've had more than 200 loads canceled from the USDA since January until now, which is somewhere in the middle of March. So it is a real issue, not just for food banks. But it's also an issue for the United States Department of Agriculture. Yeah, and and of course you think about the things that tie people's hands, and 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 what of those things can be fixed, and what of those things do you just have to live with? And you know, I Rob Fowler, our good friend Rob Fowler, used to say, "Small businesses are are just like people. You've got ones that are particularly awesome, and you've got ones that struggle a bit more, right?" <laughs> and and this is true with our with our with our government agencies as well. You know, there. 
are some problems that we probably should be able to solve, and and they're struggling. They're, I know that there's there's not as many staff as they should have in a number of key positions. That that's persisted through several administrations. I mean, you know, but there's consequences to these things, right? So not to cast aspersions or or too much blame, but to say when people are lacking fundamental resources. You've got to find a way to get over those hurdles and get people the food they need. Yes, we have to make substitutions. We can't use the same channels that we used before because those channels are blocked or clogged or not producing the amount of food they need. So what channels do we have? Let's get at the table and solve this together. Right. And that's going to be the answer. So, you know, we're working on it. For for those of you listening, I don't want you to feel like we're hopeless. We are working hard at this. But, you know, when we talk about changing the conversation, one of the things we're talking about is who has a role? How is that role played out? And how do we influence that to create the right solutions? And this is a big deal. And we're working hard at it. Well, that's why we're uh, not just problem spotters, we're problem solvers. And we'll keep solving this problem on the other side of this break. That's Jerry Brisson, I'm Dr. Phil Knight, and we're back with you in just a moment. Contact the Food Bank Council of Michigan at fbcmich.org. Now back to more Food First Michigan with Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Welcome back, everyone. Thanks for being with us. Jerry Brisson, Dr. Phil Knight here. We're talking kind of a perfect storm scenario. We've got a lot of inflation right now. We have a shorter supply in uh, reach, I should say, into the supply chain. And, and Jerry, we have really what you describe is, is a lot of uncertainty. Yeah, that's right. And, and of course, you know, one of the things that food banks do, and, and it's a f- fundamental part of our purpose is we level set for the community of agencies uh, who are doing this work with us, right? Our partners, we call them our partners. They are our partners. They they give us a lot of information about what they see and what's going on out in the world. We do a lot of collaborating and co-designing and all kinds of other things so that we can make sure we're getting people the food they want and need at a time when they can come get it. I mean, it's amazing to me how many people volunteer their time and make a tremendous effort to make sure the, the people that need help get help. So, so uncertainty does what? It throws a wrench in the works, right? I mean, it, it makes it hard for households. If you're trying to decide, okay, how much can I afford to pay a, on, on a bill this month? A lot of times it's a utility bill. It, it might mm-hmm. be rent, but it might be something a lot more difficult. Your, your, your son or daughter has is, is got an opportunity to do something at school. Maybe they're a, a, an exceptional athlete. Maybe they're a brainiac and be part of a robotics team. And, and that opportunity comes along and you've got to say, gosh, can I afford it? Can I, can, can I make it happen? And, of course, schools and other people try to give scholarships. And, but, but you can see the dynamic, right, that people are making financial choices all the time. Some of them are really simple. Some of them are really difficult. Enter in. You got to pay maybe $20 more at the gas pump. Maybe it's $25. Maybe it's $15. Enter in at the grocery store. You're on the spot 
saying, well, I can't make what I usually make for for my family, which I know is what they want and they like and it maybe is healthy. I got to pick something else because I can't afford to get what I usually get. Mm -hmm. That's what happens on a day-in, day-out basis when you have things like inflation or shortages of certain kinds of food. You're, You're trying to decide what to do on the spot because this is the time you have to shop. So, so you know, obviously there's strategies that we all use to, to overcome uncertainty. The problem is when you don't have enough resources to fix everything, those strategies get less and less effective, right? Mm-hmm. And so now one thing compounds and leads to the next. It's true for food banks. It's true for the partners we work with. It's true for the households that we, that we have to help, right? You see uncertainty makes things a lot harder harder to manage. If I only knew today what's going to happen tomorrow, I'd make better choices today. Yeah. Right? Yes. So how that how that plays out in real life, I think, is really important. Um, I'm, I'm reading an article here on in the Washington Post that's um, written, who I hope to be a future guest with us, um, Laura Riley. And Laura Riley tells the story of a, a young woman who's a, a young single mom. Uh, her name is uh, Chelsea Lewis. And, and basically, she's telling the story in this article that, that you know, we had a lot of, um, uh, of opportunities to help people. There was the pandemic EBT, you know, that went to kids who were families of school-aged children. And we had the child uh, tax credit and so those things are all gone now. They're, they they missed out. And in Chelsea's story, she talks about uh, making those choices in the grocery store to buy something that's less nutritionally uh, supportive or valued, you know, and getting some cheaper food and then then choosing not to eat herself. And she says in the article that she'll she'll just tell her kids she's not hungry and then she'll eat anything that's left over off their plates. Now, that's real life, Jerry. That's real life. And it, it is, by and large, the decisions that, that the parents make, I mean, over and over and over again. Now, you know, if, if, if your job is sitting at a desk, that has certain consequences. If your job is moving a big piece of equipment every day or, or, or lifting and moving boxes in a, in, a, in a warehouse, that lack of nutrition can wipe you out quick. Sure. You know, you just don't have the energy to do your work and so that makes that makes things slower, it makes things it makes things harder for for the people around you. And of course, you know, we all talk about hangry, right? I know yeah. one show we spent a, a minute and a half at least just talking about that uh, that dynamic of you know when you're hungry, you're not at your best, right? You don't, yeah, you know, you're not yourself. That's right. That's exactly right. And so, uh, and so, you know, these are really difficult choices. And and probably the reason to keep talking about it is because it's easy to forget unless it's happening to you. Right. It's easy to forget. And we all have our own problems that weigh us down and, and we don't necessarily want to think about what's going on with other people. Here's the thing that frustrates us, though. Those of us involved in problem solving, we can see the answer. Mm-hmm. We know there's an answer. We know that there are resources. We know that there is a way. And it's getting it's getting everybody moving together to reach the things we know have to happen. Oh, man. You just want to solve it because, man, you just feel terrible for people that that are going through this hard time. 
Well, and I think in in this lady's story is it's it's proper to note that she is employed, right? And you know, but there the the issues there around employment are complex and are a factor in the recovery of people and of over this pandemic as well. I mean, the fact of the matter is you've got um, a lot of folks who are not coming back to the workforce. So one of the big questions around Lansing is how can we have such low unemployment rate and still have such long food bank lines? You know, and the, the, there's a complex answer. But one is people that are 55 years of age and older aren't coming back to the workforce. Uh, moms are having a real hard time in coming back to the workforce because of child care. And the cost of childcare, Michigan is not the most expensive state for childcare, but we're one of the most expensive states for childcare. And then you have two income families prior to the pandemic that figured out that somebody couldn't go back to work during the pandemic and they decided to stay that way. And then you have, Jerry, a bunch of folks who were making 10 and $12 at jobs, working two and three jobs prior to the pandemic. And because of our, again, we'll call, we'll do a fallerism here with Rob that says the market should drive minimum wage. Well, guess what? Minimum wage is now 15 to 17. And those folks who were working three jobs prior to the pandemic are now only working one or two. And so these are huge gaps in the employment, but it also explains why people still have more month than money and they're standing are sitting in cars, <laughs> are coming to our pantry network, and those lines are still long, and we're seeing that need uptick every month now for the last eight months. Yeah, and I think we're going to see it again. You know, we always see an uptick when school is done, you know, for the year. So so we're still in March. There's still a few months. You know, we've got all of April and May, though we've got some vacation coming up in spring breaks and things that, that stresses people a little bit, right? Right. But then all of a sudden, school is out, and, and we know that only about 12 or 15% of the kids that get support, food support during the school year continue to get that support over the summer months. And so, you know, we're, you know, again, you talk about seeing that storm coming. We know it's coming. It comes every year. We talk about it every year well here you know when we get there are we going to act now like we didn't see it coming or are we going to start saying you know we better get some things right yeah exactly well let's keep talking about how, what things we can get right and we'll do it on the other side of this break that's jerry Basson. i'm dr phil knight come back and be with us we'll be right here Michigan. Once again, here's Phil and Jerry. We're back here, Jerry Brisson, Dr. Phil Knight. Uh, Jerry, just to, to kind of finally unpack the perfect storm, um, many Americans are spending somewhere between 30 to 40 percent of their budget on rent, food, and gas. But a lot of the families that we serve spend up to like 60 percent of their income on those three items. So that just makes it hard. It just makes it hard, but it also makes what we do vitally important to them, their families, their children, um, you know, academic success, you know, all of the yeah. things that we love to yeah. talk about here on the show. Um, and, and, you know, 
one of the things that really resonates with me that you say is one of the reasons we think this problem can be solved is because of the people who are rallying to the cause. That is true. And we see it in volunteers and we see it in, in our partnerships in healthcare, and we see it in our partnerships in education and we see it in our partnerships with government. We, we also see it in business owners and people that really do understand that, you know, life is complicated, that, that answers aren't as simple as you'd like them to be. It takes hard work, <laughs> but they're doing the hard work and they're willing to do the hard work because, you know, imagining a hungry community is just awful. Well, what do you say? Um, the less you know about a problem, the easier it is to solve. Yeah, that's right. That's the <laughs> saying. And it is a true statement, right? It's true in every relationship, isn't it? You know, someone starts telling you what's going on and you start, well, you should just do this. How often do you roll your eyes and go, okay. Right, right. <laughs> Right. In fact, I got to tell you a story. I just the other day I was talking to someone about the work that we do, and and their response back to me was, "Yeah, but what are you doing to to fix the the fundamental problem? You know, that's creating all this hunger." Root and I'm causes. Like, yeah, you know, and I'm like, you know what? I understand where you're coming from, and I understand your frustration that that systems are out there that are broken that create problems for people. But I'm going to tell you what that question fundamentally doesn't get is the life people are leading today that they need relief from so they can move on to their next success. And you can create all the systems you want. And if you don't have the energy or the time or the wherewithal to take advantage of those opportunities, you will be left behind. You mm. can't do one or the other. You have to do both. While we're fixing complex systems so they work better for people, we have got to walk with people on their journey through life. You have to do both. And so I hear that question. I go, I know you want life to be simple. You want to say, take all the money you're spending on this short-term outcome and put it in the long, and, and you're going to get better results. But that is a falsehood. We know it's not true. And I, I, it's just not that simple. Well, you know, there's this nasty habit that we all have of wanting to eat every day. Yeah, <laughs> right. Or at least a few times a week. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, so, I mean, you can't ignore the immediate for the opportunity to address the long term. But you can't do it the other way either. You can't ignore the long term just for the immediate. That's why I think our approach at the Food Bank Council and our network of seven Feeding America food banks is to look at, okay, we got to address it today because people are hungry today. Kids need food today. Seniors need food today. But let's think about real policy changes that can can alleviate the need from this. And and that's that's really where this work lies, in both in, in the distribution of food today, which is happening every day at these seven food banks here in Michigan. And it was really cool to have some folks come and visit yesterday at Gleaners' new facility um, that are pretty influential on the supply chain of things and and also um you know are are interested in in following along with us coming alongside of us to address today 
but let's work on tomorrow as well. Yeah, we got to have one of our favorite farmers down to visit, you know, and that's Director Gary McDowell from the Michigan Department of Agricultural and Rural Development. And he brought his team down really, I mean, in a very touching way to say thank you for all you did during the pandemic. And and he was really just holding a congratulatory hand out. It it wasn't an inspection. It was a, you know, a true act of um, compassion and and uh, and gratitude. And it was beautiful to see. And he was very articulate in saying, you know, when they were looking at how are we going to reach all the people that need help during the pandemic, it was the food banks that stood up and said, here's how we can do it. And then they went to work to help us find the food we needed, especially at the beginning when the supply chain issues first started and nobody knew how to sort it out. But of course, they have relationships with growers all over the state. They also have relationships with producers and distributors and processors. Yeah. And they they really put the the their you know, their money where their mouth is, so to speak, and got a lot done for us um, so that we could get the food we needed. And, you know, so it was great that they came down to say, now, how is it going? You know, let we, we've added so much more capacity to do the work. They wanted to see that. They wanted to celebrate it and then say, what do we need to do next? You know, and Jerry, I think something that 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 director McDowell saw firsthand yesterday that I think is critically important for all of this work, no matter where the food's coming from USDA or from directly from the farm or from the the grower, the ranchers, uh, whoever they milk, wherever it might be coming from, is that these seven Feeding America food banks have a highest value, and that value is food safety. Yeah, you can't take that for granted because, you know, you cannot afford for people to get sick because you're trying to help them, right? Yeah. So, and it's more than a notion. Uh, you know, not only do you have to make sure everything is kept at the right temperature and, and pest-free and, you know, things that you just would obviously take for granted, but, you know, there are literally dozens of food recalls for, for safety issues in the food supply chain every week. Dozens right. of them, right? Some of them are big. Some, some that of them most are of us small. never hear about, right? right. Thank because, God. Yeah, because <laughs> they get handled before you have to hear about them, right? right? But all of us know a few times, you know, whether it was the 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 lettuce issue that was out there and that right. affected all of us. We all had to get rid of some stuff, or the peanut butter issue that was mm-hmm. another one that people saw and experienced personally. But we see these things all the time, and so it's not just a matter of being good-hearted. You got to have the right systems in place. We. We can get anything that's recalled back within 24 hours, anything. We know where it went. We know how much of it went. We can get in touch with the people that got it. And uh, and we have plan A, plan B, and plan C to get in touch with people if they're not in the office or if they're not right. at their pantry. We've got ways to, to get people... Uh, and they have ways. They want to know, right? They make sure that there's somebody always available so that we can manage the important work of keeping the food safe that gets distributed. And, and thus you you have, you know, a system that works really, really well and not to be taken for granted. You can't just put your hand out and say, I want that food. Right, right. And that's what happened in some programs during the pandemic, particularly the uh, farm to family food box program where... Uh, the Department of Agriculture at the time decided to work directly with vendors and then left it up to the vendors to find agencies across their community to distribute the food. And maybe there were some well-intentioned folks saying, I want to help people in my community and distribute this food. 
but they were not professionals. They were not trained. They did not have the infrastructure necessary to keep that food safe. And so I think it's a huge point for the Food Bank Council of Michigan to make to our government partners that anyone is welcome to come and help do this work. But they should also be professional, they should be qualified, they should be knowledgeable, they should have the infrastructure in order to, to do this work and distribute food to our hungry neighbors safely. Right. And so, I mean, really, that's a matter of just letting us do our job, you know. So if, if there's someone in a community that says, hey, I can take that food, great, come through the food bank and we'll help make sure we'll help you. We can get you trained. We can teach you how to do this. We can make sure things are, you know, at the right time in the right place and the right refrigeration and all the other things that it takes to make sure that your community is served safely. And so, you know, there's nobody that we don't welcome into this network. Well, that's true. That's absolutely true. We're very inclusive, but with a very high standard toward food safety. And I'm just going to say something. I wouldn't be a show if I didn't say something to get me in trouble. And I'm going to So what I'm going to say is simply this. There's one organization, there's one network that is able to do this work at scale statewide. And that is to keep food safe, handle it properly, and use a network of more than 3,000 different partners to get the food out. And that's the Food Bank Council of Michigan and our seven food banks. So let us do our work so that people are blessed and get the food and the help that they need in the way that they need it. He's Jerry Bassan, I'm Dr. Phil Knight, and we're back in just a moment. We're back here, Jerry Bassan, Dr. Phil Knight, in the studio for the first time in what, two, two and a half years? Two years, yeah, pretty much. That's exactly right. I think our last time in the studio was March of 20, right? Yeah, I think so. I think that's right. So, you know, we're dating the show here, but this is March of 2022. Mark's probably going to want us to take that part out. but <laughs> <laughs> March or April or whenever we play the show. Yeah, right. Yeah. So anyway, um, you know, we didn't have a guest today, but it's our first time back in the studio. But this perfect storm, Jerry, uh, you know, I said to the folks in the boat that day, you know, don't be scared until I'm nervous. And in regard to the perfect storm we're facing, I'm not nervous, but I'm not far from it because of all the complexities and all the things that are involved, the factors that are involved in us being able to get the right food to the right people at the right time is is threatened. Well, part of piloting the boat is finding the cove, right? Where's that cove? How do we get there? And and part of what we're doing is recognizing that look, we know there's a lot of complicated things going on, but we're we're pulling this boat into the cove in the meantime because we we got to make sure that we're keeping people safe while the storm passes. And of course, there's more it's more than a notion, you know, but we're on it. Right. And I and I do think it's important for people to realize that we don't come on here just to complain. We come on here to, to speak the truth around the issues that we're facing and then say, but we're pulling our friends, our allies, the people that care about this. We're pulling them all together and we're going to we're going to, you know, we're going to weather the storm. We're going to we're going to do what we got to do. Right. We're going to weather the storm. And I should say also that during that visit to y'all's new facility in Taylor and around 
yesterday that uh, representatives from from uh, Senator Erica Geis and from uh, Representative Alex Garza were both there with us. So, you know, the policy matters in this work a lot, and it weighs heavy. So it was nice to have uh, people who represent the senator and the representative there with us to go on the tour. And I think that they were, I think everybody was pretty amazed at the sophistication that it takes to do this charitable food work. I mean, you know, they all walked around going, wow, this warehouse looks like Costco. <laughs> and, the, and the inventory uh, system is computerized so that you can do food safety recalls. And they're like, you know, uh, like that, they don't, nobody gives that technology away, I don't think. So it's, it, it's very sophisticated of what it takes to do this work, just like it is in retail. And that's part of the reason we we're ready to work with healthcare. We're ready to work with education. We're ready to to walk alongside people who have a vested interest to solve this problem because it affects their business, right? It affects it affects the cost of them doing their business. So we are good-hearted. We're very compassionate. We struggle with the families that are struggling and and we can communicate and 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 say this is what they're facing. But on the other end, we're also business people that know how to run this, and we're putting the systems in place that are going to be effective, not just for us, but for all of the people who have a vested interest in solving this problem. I agree. Thanks, Jerry. Time for a little food for thought. Storms come and go, and my favorite phrase in the good book is, this too shall pass. It is said, hard times don't last, but tough people do. Food bankers are some of the most resilient leaders I've ever known. They do not quit. They inspire their teams, they pull their hat down, and they steer the boat to safety. We've done it in the Great Recession, the government shutdowns, and now during the pandemic. And we will do it again. We are a little nervous, but we aren't scared. And we'll need your help this time like we did last time. And that you can help by giving your time, your talent, and your treasure to help us weather these days of difficulty. Find us, as Mark says, at fbcmish.org, and we'll put you to work. Until then, we'll keep food first, folks. Food first. Food First Michigan, presented by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and by the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food-secure state.